Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Well, if you have a Bible, open with me. Meet me today in Mark chapter 1. Mark is one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. We are in the first chapter today as we start this new conversation, what we are talking about when we talk about the gospel. Before we get into that, though, I want to update you on a, on a big thing that's happening in our community and uh, something that we are celebrating today in person Uh, in the gathering in the theater. So to rewind the tape a little bit, our elder team two years ago started a process of thinking through a lot of things about discovery and how to sort of streamline those things or, or gain alignment with those things around our mission to help people discover the good news of Jesus. And so out of those conversations have come a whole bunch of things, okay? The deacon team, the street team, local partnerships, global partnerships, new staff hires, mid-sized community adventure that we're on together right now. All that and more has come out of that kind of strategic conversation that we started as an elder team a couple of years ago. Now, the other thing that, that came out of that, or I guess one of the other things that was a part of that conversation was the question of women in leadership in our church. What is open and available to women in terms of leadership? And, 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 do we need to make a statement about that or be more clear about our position on all of that? Well, at the time that we first brought that up, which would have been summer, fall of 2019, we felt like that was only a year after I had gotten here. We were still uh, in, a, in a pretty significant state of transition. Felt like that was a really important question for us to tackle, but not at that moment. So we put it off a year. Last year, again, end of summer, beginning of fall, we really started to tackle that question. And we were, we were studying scripture together. We read a few different books. Uh, we debated and argued amongst each other on the elder team. We also um, inquired and, and, and uh, investigated this with some other people who are leading churches around the country. And the end result of all of that was this conviction that women should be able to lead in every level of leadership at Discovery Christian Church. And so we um, started to process that with some other leaders and people who are connected here to our community at Discovery and found that there was a lot of affirmation for that direction. Back in June, I believe it was June 6th, if you want to go back and watch that digital gathering or listen to that teaching, June 6th, we presented this to the congregation, right? Me and Scott and Yuan as the elder team said, here's, here's some of our study of scripture. Here are some of our convictions. We, um, we also shared with you um, uh, uh, our position document that, that sort of outlines all of that thinking. And once again, a lot of excitement and affirmation from you guys, from our church community and family about that direction. Now, sort of tracking along with that, at the same time, we invited four people who meet the qualifications of an elder, right? Integrity, able to teach, leaders, people who have been serving uh, and demonstrating a life that's being formed by the way of Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit as listed in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5. All those things, we invited four different people into a process of discerning and training for eldership. 
uh, Aki Chafin, Ian Chafin, Janine Carlson, and Andrea Quinones. And out of that process, Janine and Andrea felt like this was the time. God was calling them to uh, become elders at Discovery. And so we introduced them to you a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was the very beginning of October, and asked for feedback, questions, concerns, affirmation over their candidate, candidateship as elders, and overwhelmingly positive feedback from uh, from the Discovery family. So thank you guys for uh, for sharing that with us. So today is the day where we are commissioning Andrea and Janine and kind of the new elder team for Discovery as we move forward. A couple of, of sort of practical or logistical things in case you aren't aware of this. So Andrea and Janine, their term will start technically uh, today, October 31st, November 1st, whatever. Um, and will go for three years. Every elder commits to a three-year term. At the end of that, they have the option of taking a year off and then doing a second three-year term. They can go straight into a three-year term or they can be done at that point. So they begin their three-year terms today. Uh, Yuan Chang, who uh, his first three-year term is coming to an end in February, has agreed to continue on into a second term. So for the, next, for the majority of the next three years, your elder team will be me, Yuan Chang, Andrea Canonez, and Janine Carlson. Scott Palmer is currently our longest tenured elder. His term is coming to an end in December. And I just gotta say, we are so grateful for Scott's leadership. I've said this about a handful of people over the last couple of years, but it's not overstating the case to say that there might not be a Discovery Christian Church if not for Scott Palmer's faithful, dedicated leadership, especially during the period of time in which he was an elder here at Discovery, leading us through some challenges and also some really great moments, right? A lot of highs and lows during his tenure. Um, but his faithful leadership is a tremendous testimony to God's goodness and graciousness to our to our church. So Scott will be coming off in December. And then in addition to all of that, we're going to begin inviting people into that discernment process. We would love to have a, another couple of elders come on in the next year or two so that we have a little bit of a stagger with those terms and we aren't turning the whole thing over every three years. Are you with me? All right. So today we commission that new team. And this is, again, an exciting moment for a whole bunch of reasons, but not the least of which is we now, for the most part, have a set elder team deacon team, staff team. Uh, we're back in the theater. There, there's a lot of great things that are happening. It feels like now's the time to roll up our sleeves and really get going. So we are so excited about what lies ahead and what God wants to do with us during this time. So on that note, let's pray for the new elders, for the current elder team, for leadership at Discovery, for all of us as we move into this next phase in the life of our church. So Father God, we are grateful for the ways in which you have led us through a season of transition, going uh, back to the summer of 2018 all the way up until now, God, the wonderful people who you have uh, sustained through that, who you have brought along to join this community, and who now get to lead and serve together is a really beautiful thing. And we're excited, God, for what the future holds. But we also uh, hold it open-handedly, knowing, God, that you have plans for us that go way beyond our ability to dream or imagine uh, what they might be. So we are available, God. We want you to do something with this community and the moment that we are in. We ask that you would do that, that you would surprise us with, uh, with the future you have in store for Discovery. I pray especially 
For Andrea and Janine, we ask for protection and guidance over their lives as they take a step into this role of leading the church. Um, would you give them great grace and strength as they take on this task? We pray for our whole community, God, that we'd rally around them, that we would uh, champion them and cheer them on. And again, God, for all of us, we are available and excited to engage in what you have in store for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 1. As we start off this new conversation, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if you go back to the early days of the pandemic, as we settled into social distancing, it was interesting to watch people go looking for signs and glimmers uh, of hope. I certainly did, right? Like, how, how are we going to make uh, some sense, have some hope in this un unprecedented time, right, as we said a lot at that moment? Well, you started to see different manifestations of this show up in pop culture. John Krasinski, Jim from The Office, started this YouTube channel called Some Good News, where he would highlight positive trends happening in the midst of these difficult circumstances. And there are a lot of other sort of versions of that that happened, especially in those first couple of months. But later on that summer, summer of 2020, Apple TV released a show that I think has kind of become the epitome of hopefulness in the midst of our pandemic moment. The show is called Ted Lasso, and it stars Jason Sudeikis as this American football coach who gets hired by an English soccer team, right? So it's this kind of bizarre fish out of water story, but actually a very interesting show as it explores a lot of themes about our human experience. Jason Sudeikis says it this way. He's not totally sure why the show has caught on because it features two things that Americans hate, soccer and kindness. <laughs> and that's been one of the big things that they've explored. They've definitely gone into a lot of other territory now over two seasons, but so much of the praise that's been heaped on this show has been for its emphasis on kindness and positivity and Ted Lasso's sort of mantra, which is believe, believe. In our cultural moment, that has all too often felt divisive, that's felt dark. The world of Ted Lasso has been this breath of fresh air, underscoring the deep desire that we have for good news. Good news. This is what the word gospel means. So gospel is actually sort of a modernized version of an old English word, which was a translation of the Greek word euangelion, which means quite literally good news or good messenger. And we <clears throat> referenced this fairly recently in our conversation in Acts. We talked about the nounification of the gospel, how it's been turned into a thing, an idea, as opposed to a verb or a declaration. So what we hope to do here over uh, this week and the following two Sundays is help us clarify what we mean at Discovery. When we use the word gospel, what are we talking about? What does this word mean? How do we demonstrate what the gospel is? And how can we help us see what it means to participate in the gospel and become good news for others? 
So to get us started, I want to do something a little bit different than what we normally do in our, our teaching time. This might feel a little bit more like a lecture for a moment than a typical sermon. But to get us started, I want to lay out the four, what I'm calling the four popular American articulations of the gospel. And then I want to propose a, an alternative to that, what we might call the King Jesus gospel. But a quick disclaimer before I get into the, into the guts of this. Okay, So first is this. For some of us, especially those of us who have church background, you may hear these, you know, one or more of these formulations and you might say to yourself, uh, wait a minute, that is the gospel. And so I just want to recognize on the, on the forefront here that this is uh, potentially going to push on some things that maybe you have been taught before or have assumed to be true. And I push on it not, not purely for the sake of critique, but as an invitation to consider that the good news of Jesus might actually be even better than we thought. All right, so not as a critique, but as an invitation that the good news of Jesus might be even better than we thought. I also want to say this. Each of these ways of gospeling is not necessarily wrong, but they are, I think, simply too small. And they don't always match the good news proclaimed by Jesus. So hopefully what we see is that there's some great things in each one of these that can be wrapped up into this bigger picture of the gospel that we are calling the King Jesus gospel. So first one is this, the evangelical gospel or the Billy Graham gospel, which kind of goes like this. You are a sinner going to hell, but God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. So Believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven. So let's begin with affirmation. Okay, this formulation of the gospel is succinct. It's efficient. It's relatively easy to understand. And all the individual statements that it makes are true. This view of the gospel has a very strong emphasis on the love of God, on our need for relationship with God. It, it, it resonated very strongly with the buster and boomer generations, many people became followers of Jesus through this formulation of the gospel. But there are a couple of issues here. First, it wasn't the gospel proclaimed by Jesus. Back to Mark 1, Jesus talks a lot more about the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, not just a ticket to heaven, not just believe in some uh, statement or pray some prayer, but uh, introducing this whole new reality, a whole new way to live, kind of wrapped up in the metaphor of the kingdom of God. Second issue here is we, we're calling this the evangelical gospel, but it could also be called the gospel of minimum requirements. Many proponents of this type of gospel have acknowledged that this formulation has been very effective for conversion, but has fallen way short when it comes to discipleship and formation in the ways of Jesus. Think of it relationally, right? If I go to my wife, Amy, and I say, hey, what is the absolute minimum that I need to do to stay legally married to you? Right? Probably not going to go over well. It's also just not a good question, not a good foundation for our marriage. And, and maybe most importantly, it's missing the point Right? It's missing the point of the beauty and the adventure of life together. Jesus himself says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is not just an intellectual knowing. This is a deep relational knowing. The daily 
intimate togetherness with God, the with God life in His kingdom. Second, we have the Reformed Gospel. And here we're referring more to the sort of modern manifestation of this, which has grown in popularity in the West in the last 20 to 30 years than, say, the the work of Martin Luther and the other reformers of 500 years ago. This one goes like this, okay? God is perfect and holy, loving and wrathful. You are morally guilty. There's no way for you to measure up to God's standards. But God demands holiness, and that demand must be kept. You can't do it. But the good news is Jesus does it for us by dying in our place. At the core of this formulation is the doctrine of justification, how guilty sinners are declared not guilty through Jesus' atoning death on the cross. Now, some really great things in this formulation of the gospel. Okay, it's driven by doctrine and theology. There's a strong draw here for intellectual types. If you like really thick books and nerding out on theology, you're probably drawn to this type of gospel. And it has a very high view of God, the cross of scripture. It takes Jesus' death very seriously. Again, all really good things. But it, it again misses the bigger picture. Again, it wasn't the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. You're sensing now that this is a theme. It has almost no conception of the kingdom. It spends most of its time and energy on atonement theories, how that justification process works. And just a quick side note, Jesus only uses the word justification one time in Luke 18, and it's in a parable. Seventy times, just in Matthew's gospel, he talks about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Justification is not used often in the New Testament outside of the writer Paul, and most of Paul's references to that word are in the book of Romans. Peter, James, and John, Jesus' inner circle, never use it once in any of their letters. So, a very important theological concept, but, it, but this gospel intends to make that concept the whole story. And it misses the resurrection, the kingdom, the good news of life with God. Then it also has a couple of sort of practical issues. Because of the intellectual emphasis, discipleship in this view can become reduced to just knowing doctrine, knowing information, which always tends to end up in a sort of legalism. There's also a very toxic version of this gospel, which pops up too often in church, which goes like this. You are evil and God is super mad at you, so he killed Jesus. And you end up with this angry, tyrant God. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus is about love. It's about God's deep desire to be with us. To extend His community, Father, Son, and Spirit to us, to be in relationship with us. Jesus says, God so loved the world that He sent Jesus, not God so hated sin. Are you with me? Third, the prosperity gospel. This is one of the newer formulations, and it has two kind of manifestations. One is the belief that financial blessing is the ultimate will of God. Poverty is a curse that can be broken through faith. There's definitely this like con artist, televangelist aspect to this, right? Like, give me $100, and then God will give you 1000 Now, that version of it is blatantly heretical, but also kind of fringy at this point. There's a more mainstream version, though, that goes like this. If you know, love, and serve God, He will bless you. 
All right, the best is yet to come. All you need to do is just pray more, read your Bible more, show up at church, buy this book, and you'll unlock this blessing. Now, there's some good things going on here um, in the prosperity gospel. There's definitely some circles where it's like a bad word, but there's some good things in here. Generally speaking, if you follow God's ways, things tend to go well. There's obviously exceptions to that. But generally speaking, following God's ways are the best way to live. This gospel does promote a very loving picture of God. It's very open to the miraculous. It's generous. It's been at the forefront of the multi-ethnic church. A lot of great things going on there. But once again, this is not the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about an upside-down kingdom where the greatest become the least. And he said things like, pick up your cross, deny yourself, die to find life. John 16, he says, you will have many trials in this world. The kingdom life is actually one of descent, not up and to the right. And yes, there is abundance, right? Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. But that abundance comes through being formed into the likeness of Christ, which is oftentimes an arduous process. Finally, the social gospel or the liberation gospel here. The good news is that Jesus came as a liberator. He came for the poor and the oppressed. He came to undo injustices and overturn power imbalances. This is Jesus as the political revolutionary. What this perspective gets right is that finally, out of these four, we have a focus on the kingdom. Additionally, it underscores the importance of both preaching, proclaiming the gospel verbally, but then also doing things, right? Tangible demonstration of the good news. It seeks to make a difference in the world. It has a sophisticated view of sin, not just individual rule-breaking, but also structural sin. It deeply affirms the imago Dei, the dignity of all people, and it calls out the isms, racism, and sexism. And yes, Jesus does subvert the powers of his day in many creative ways, but one of the problems here is that Jesus was not primarily political. In fact, he's very clear. I came to give my power away. One of the temptations he faces from Satan is take over all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus rejects that. When people wanted to make him a literal king, you can read about this in John 6, he says no. He would not play that game. And so what happens here is that this this view tends to embrace the kingdom without the king It offers apprenticeship more to an ideology than to a person, to Jesus himself, the Son of God. So I just want to pause here for a moment and and give you a little bit of space to reflect. The evangelical gospel, the reformed gospel, the prosperity gospel, the social gospel. Which one do you know well? Which one have you internalized as being the true gospel? There's a lot of information here today, and, and I know that that's one of the dangers of this conversation. So each week we want to ground ourselves in a simple truth, and the first truth is this. The gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaimed was about a kingdom. A kingdom that could be experienced now, but also would last into eternity. Now, here in America in particular, we struggle with this idea. Maybe this is why we do get attracted to some of these other formulations of the good news, right? We don't like kingdoms. Our whole country's origin story is about rebelling against the king 
and a kingdom. But this kingdom picture, this kingdom invitation, this kingdom reality is still good news for us, still the best news possible for us, even in a Western democratic society. And there's probably a lot of ways to explain this. So I want to just give us two as we come in for a close. First, the kingdom gospel helps us make sense of reality. It helps us make sense of reality by, by tying us into the big story of redemption that God is telling. But by tying together the full narrative of Scripture, this story that God created the world and called it good, but then we rebelled against that good created order. And yet, even in our rebellion, God did not give up on us. His master plan of redemption culminating in the arrival of Jesus as King. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, His invitation to follow Him with our whole lives are all part of this arrival of the kingdom. Right, That's here now, but again, will be established in perfection in the future. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of this kingdom. Second thing here is the kingdom gospel is big enough, is large enough for our whole life to get caught up in it. His project was not just uh, tickets to heaven. He didn't come to get us to sign on to a doctrinal statement. He didn't just share some Instagrammable quotes that inspire us. He didn't come to get some laws passed. He came to bring a kingdom. And he invites us to live in that reality, to live and participate in his kingdom. For me, personally, this was a life-changing moment when I saw how big and wide the scope of this is, that there was more to following Jesus than just learning some interesting religious facts, but that he was inviting me into this adventure with him. Steve, come participate in this kingdom, in this new way of life. Join me in my mission of redemption. The, the good news that this abundant life is available here and now and into eternity. That there's meaning and purpose here and now and into eternity. There's a revolution here and now and into eternity. I was like, sign me up for that. In the Lord's Prayer, which really actually should be our prayer, but that's just a little side note. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom? It's wherever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, our King, reigning over all of us right here, right now. I want to end with two, as we get ready for communion and and this moment where we celebrate and remember that Jesus is king, right? And that his inauguration as king is on a cross. And through the power of his resurrection, when he comes out of that tomb three days later, two dimensions or sets of questions for us as we enter into this moment of communion. First, where does the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom of God need to invade your reality? Does the kingdom need to come in your family, in your work, in your mind, in your addictions, in your perspective, in your anger? Where does the kingdom of God need to invade your reality?
And then second, how can you participate in helping bring heaven to earth? What does God's will being done look like in your neighborhood, at your company, in your kid's school? What does it look like to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Davis as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that exact thing. That, that for us, the gospel would not be a thing or an idea or a statement to sign off on, but a reality that changes our hearts, our lives, our relationships, the places you have us, that your kingdom would be invading earth through us wherever we go. God, that your will would be done here in Davis as it is in heaven. So once again, God, we make ourselves available. What do you want to do in and through us to bring your kingdom here? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Grace and peace, friends.